My name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. I'm the owner and co-founder of School for the Dogs, a dog training center located in Manhattan's East Village. School, school for the dogs, for the dogs. On this podcast, I talk about dog training, interview industry experts, discuss pet trends, answer questions, and try to communicate my love for all things related to behavioral science. Thanks a lot for listening. I think this podcast will help make you the best possible human best friend any dog could ask for. Glad to have you on School for the Dogs podcast. You have been Thanks, a School for the Dogs uh employee and uh at l for uh a, a long time now more than three oh years. my goodness i know um it, it, if we can still be measuring time if we can still be measuring it seems time. feels a little arbitrary but uh so um i mean i know a little bit about about how you came to us but why don't you share how you ended up um, why don't you share a little bit about how you ended up at School for the Dogs, and then we can talk about like the stuff that you've been doing work-wise. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, I, I, I don't consider it a very direct path. It's uh, either a third or a fourth career for me, depending upon what you consider a career. But um, I worked in the music industry for like 25 years, and that led to a... a uh, job in music journalism as a writer and editor. That you were you worked at record one. stores, didn't you? Oh, I worked at record stores. That that was a bit more recently, actually. But uh, starting in the late '90s, I began writing professionally, which was a surprise to me because I had never gone to journalism school or anything like that. But I worked. I had background in working in music, so I, I guess I just had uh, a certain type of info or a certain type of uh, background. Well, what were you doing? What were you that, doing in in the world of music? In the world of music, well, let's see. I started at college radio, which doesn't it doesn't sound too too unique, but it quickly led to an internship at a record label. This was all in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the in the eighties, by the way. Um, and uh, so, I, the internship at a record label led to a job at the record label. That led to a part time job at the record label next door. That led to also DJing at a club downtown. That led to full-time work at one of the record labels, DJing at a club, DJing at a, at radio station. Like I was doing, I was really lucky. I had a, I had a ton of really fun experiences in a fun, really fun music city, Minneapolis from like the mid eighties to the mid nineties. Then I um, had a two year detour in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, still doing music stuff, working for a, a record label that's based in New Zealand. Um, and then I made the, made the move to New York and really tumbled into like, I, I don't know. I feel like I, I feel like I've just, uh, it's definitely, definitely a function of my privilege, but I've really just kind of stumbled from one job to the other and from one career to the next. I, um, I started, I very suddenly with very little writing experience began working full-time at Time Out New York, uh, at the beginning of 2000, which was, which was a really, a really cool and overwhelming time to be involved in media in New York. And music, music was always kind of just like this overwhelming, engulfing experience to be to be a big music fan and to to get to work in the music industry. Uh, I was very lucky, so I wound up working 
um, full-time on staff at Time Out New York for almost nine years and got let go in the 2008 financial crash. And that's, and then really started improvising. Uh, that's when I started piecing together things like little bartending jobs, some work at record stores, which I did do for a few years. Uh, and it was like my first retail experience ever. So, uh, so it wasn't as weird as it might, as it might've been for like a 40 something to just start working at stores. Um, and I was also doing, well, that was, editing. that was my, like, that was when I like 2000, the 2008 crisis. What do we even call that now? What did they call it? 2008 crisis? That was the, that was the, the recession before all the other stuff. The, the, the smaller the recession. 2008 recession. Yeah. That's what, yeah, when it was I, the, it was, the, it was the first of many light, uh, once in a lifetime financial collapses. <laughs> I th- I think well, that was when I like left journalism also. I didn't, I mean, I didn't right. get laid off or fired cause I was freelance um, which was actually its own thing. Cause like I wasn't eligible for unemployment. It was, but that was a crazy time. Like I, I couldn't get a job. Like I, I couldn't get a job. I remember like going to a cafe and bringing my resume to a cafe and like, there was just like a pile of resumes. In my- <laughs> and, uh, yeah, th- exactly. Think things, things came to, came to look that way to me a little bit further on in the, I guess the last decade now. So I was doing, yeah. I was pe- always piecing together like two or three part-time jobs. And I started getting some regular copy editing work at uh, newspapers and magazines um, ones that are sold in grocery stores, like big ones, but um, like really like kind of corporate work and not exciting work, but that's okay. You worked at the, um, at the New York post, right? I was at the post for a few years, um, which was kind of something else we have in it common. Di- it was difficult. Uh, not on the new, I, I always have to point out, I wasn't on the news side. I was like copy editing entertainment and fashion and page six. So like, I don't think I would have been able to work on the news side. I just would have burnt out after an hour, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it was bad and it was bad. Yeah, it, was yeah. bad. it was tough enough working at the post, especially uh, in light of the past few years of history, but we're not going to take that detour. Well, when I, when I was anyway. there, I remember they would, they would like ask, they would be like, can you use a smaller word in this spot? We don't have room for this larger word. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, and all yeah. this, all, one thing that I'm sure, you know, as having worked there, every sentence, every paragraph has to be M-dash. one sentence long. Okay. Yes. Yes. You're right. So many one sentence paragraphs and so many M dashes. Watch this. This is my the first time in this conversation. I have to say this. Dusty, go lay down. <laughs> she I, uh, when she hears when she when she hears me talking in the living room, that's her cue to come and get involved. When she hears you talking about right wing media jobs, she has to <laughs> yeah, exactly come She's and like, intervene. Watch your watch your tongue. Watch your tongue, buddy. <laughs> with this apartment maybe bugged. So anyway, so I had I, I had a couple of well-paying copy editing jobs and uh, gradually that work just started like it, like hours started getting cut and just like things started getting just the work started getting worse and worse. Then I finally got my best editing job ever and tip as things as these things go it only lasted 5 months. But I I worked as an editor at MTV News, which was something I got to do from home. They had a, a, a kind of short run of really high quality journalism with excellent writers, excellent editors. Everybody was paid well. Uh, no one had to really struggle with overtime. No one really struggled with deadlines. It was, it was kind of like a dream place for writers and editors. So naturally, uh, Viacom, the parent company, pulled the plug on it very quickly. And then I was like, I was at the 
I was on the cusp of turning 50, which was weird enough on its own. And I'm like, have, have I really burned out like all of my options? I started looking for, you know, other editing jobs and they were like social media editor, you know, you literally, literally job descriptions mm. were like, you should, you should be well-versed in current emojis and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I, I don't even know if I could fake that. Um, so it just felt like the nature of the work mm. got different and a little bit more degraded. And I was looking around and I was like, not really, I actually wasn't looking around. I was thinking very hard, like, you know, I could be alive for another 30 or 40 years or something. I, I got to find something productive to do. And at the time I was, uh, my second dog, Dusty, the one I referred to a minute ago was uh, like five, five years old. Um, and she was my second dog and both dogs have just been these fantastic transcendental life experiences. Um, first dog Comet, who I adopted in the nineties. Uh, I didn't know, I knew Buckus about dog behavior, but she was, she was just sort of, she was just, I think she was an easy dog. Uh, and she was six months old when I rescued her and just had no problems. We brought, brought her into a house where an adult dog was already, you know, well-established and they had no trouble. Um, Dusty, hi, came back into the room and is now staring at me. Um, Dusty is a little different. Also an, an amazing dog. I've had two female shepherd husky mixes and I kind of feel like if I can, if I can work it that way, then as long as I live, that's the kind of dog. Like it's just a, it's just a recipe that is, I'm two for two. Let's just say that with really, mm. with what I consider. And where did you get dogs. Dusty and your other dog? Uh, Comet I adopted when I was living in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and she came from a really kind of rugged shelter, the county, the Orange County shelter, which was part, part like college town and part very rural area. And this was very much just like a dogs in a concrete pen type of thing, really dire. Um, and it was, it was, uh, it was a kill shelter and the dog I picked was the card the card on her cage said you know as of today this dog can be euthanized and apparently the uh she had been brought she had been adopted once before and brought back um by the human who said she couldn't be housebroken and i was like uh oh that's probably a it's probably a, a bad sign to come across if you're looking to adopt a puppy but um like a lot of people say the dog really to me she came rushing at the door of her pen when i was standing there and just started sticking her paws through and licking, licking, licking. And I was like, I guess this is it. Um, so felt, felt pretty lucky to pull her out of there when we did, when I did, I guess. Dusty came from the ASPCA up on, what is it, 91st or 92nd Street. Um, and I adopted her at, early in 2012. Um, and she was very young. Uh, Comet, my first dog, was six months old when I got her. So there was a lot of, I mean, essentially I missed the entire puppy puppy phase for real but I didn't know it then Dusty came home she was nine weeks old and the size of a chicken nugget and I got to see all of mm. the puppy stuff and I was like and, and you know what um she was she was a puppy in full she was pure chaos um and I and also I had not you know I was still working as an editor and working at record stores and stuff and I'm like man this dog this dog's a little bit more difficult than my first one um and Comet had made a seamless move to New York City uh, from North Carolina with me. Loved the city, loved the smells, had no problems socially or anything like that. Dusty, who I found in New York City, kind of hates the city and always has. She, we've since, especially since I've learned, uh, you know, made the career change and learned a lot about behavior. 
um, I've been able to give her a much better life here, but I'm sure she'd be happy if we moved to the woods. I think she'd just be in hog heaven. And, but it's, but, but since, you know, since she was about five or six years old and I started learning about the stuff, the stuff, can we refer to dog training from here on as the stuff? <laughs> um, but it, it, obviously I learned a lot about not just how to recognize a stressed dog. I knew the dog was stressed, but I really, uh, like my instincts were all wrong as to what she needed in those stressful moments, what I could be mm-hmm. doing, which was trying to comfort her like she was, you know, more human, which doesn't really work. And doesn't, you know, if I, if I had known it, if I had really done some careful critical analysis, I might've been like, you know, maybe, maybe that's not what she needs. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, giving her distance from things, moving things along, having high value treats on hand all the time, even now, even now at nine, she's uh, all of her, all of her behaviors out, out on the street just feel so ritualized all the way down to skateboards and a certain Mm. type of truck that really gets to her. Like we're so, you know, she's nine years old and we've been together for the whole time. So I feel really, uh, really in tune to the way she perceives the environment. And I'm now armed with the awareness of like pretty much exactly what she needs at any given moment, which is great. It's really, well, so what, what was the, what made you feel what, like, okay, I think I should actually work towards becoming a professional dog trainer? You know what? Um, I, I, I honestly don't know. I felt I, at the, t- at the time, uh, like I, like I said, I lost, uh, you know, the bet, one of the best jobs I had ever had just sort of vanished under my feet. And I'm like, you know, I really need something constructive to do. And, uh, I have a couple friends, a couple friends in music who, uh, had had become dog trainers and I really didn't understand the extent to which they had moved into training and really just kept on moving. And I, I, you know, at least one of them, Kiki Yablon in Chicago, um, who she was music editor at the Chicago reader. Fabulous person. She's she's a, she's a great person, amazing trainer, a great guitarist, uh, a really good writer. I mean, she kind of, you know, kind of hurts to think about somebody, somebody being good at so many things, but yeah, she's awesome. And she had been uh, both in a band that I liked called The Dishes, and uh, she was also a music editor at the Chicago Reader when I was uh, pretty much doing the same job at Time Out New York. So it's not like we were best friends, but we, we, you know, we had been in touch. We knew each other through you know, directly, first person and through many friends. And I have another friend who uh, is in a band called the other trainer I, who I know, who I'm still friends with, is a woman named Kate Bigger outside Boston. She's in a band I love called the mm-hmm. Major, Major Stars. And uh, both, I think both Kiki and Kate have more traditional stories about moving into dog training. I think they adopted dogs who wound up with behavioral issues that weren't solved by things like shaking coins in a can and the, whatever the first, first wave of advice you get from, from old school unthinking training sources. Um, but so I think they began encountering these behavioral problems with their dogs and realizing like, Oh, I've got to figure out what's going on here. And when they, as they began to move into it, just became engrossed. Meanwhile, my, my first dog, God bless her, gave me no trouble, at least none that I was aware of. Dusty has been, you know, her problems, her problems have been consistent, but Matt, but not unmanageable. And I, like, I wish I, I, not, I don't really wish this, but you know, if either one of my dogs had had an issue that I felt was actually affecting our lives, um, you know, maybe I would have moved into it earlier. I kind of, you know, I wish I, I wish I had, I wish I had, you know, I moved into a really, 
um, kind of intimidating new field at age 50, which I think was just barely under the wire. Like if I had waited any longer, I just don't think I had it in me. Um, it's difficult learning, like learning a really, really vast new thing, uh, like in your middle, middle yeah. life. And especially this field is like in a, almost in a constant state of expansion. Like it feels like the big bang was, you know, a few decades ago when positive reinforcement training, you know, sort of moved, began moving toward the foreground of, you know, some, like some levels of awareness. But obviously, as we know, it still hasn't permeated the culture as, as you would wish for plain old science and factual, factual based uh, systems of behavior training to do. But um, yeah, it's been, uh, I mean, we can talk about this. I don't mind it. It's been a challenge. It's been a ch- I love it, and it's been a challenge, mm. both, like a big challenge. No doubt about it. Well, so you knew Kiki was doing oh, it, right, Kate right. was doing it, and, yeah, yeah, were, and you like, were you like, I could study to become a dog trainer, or I could, I don't know, go... I, I think <laughs> you could be a programmer. Yeah. Like, I, Did you I, have like I, a list of things that you were considering? No, I had no, I had a, the list in my head had one entry and it was dog training, but it was after long phone conversations with, with uh, both friends. Um, Kiki recommended two places in New York, one of which just happened to be a 10 minute walk from where I've lived for 25 years, which is school for the dogs. So that was the first place I visited and I dropped in on a Saturday and uh, a past employee named Addie was at the front desk. And you remember Addie? She's like just this endless fountain of positive energy and encouragement and support. And so I kind of like poked my nose in the front door and I was like, very much like, hi, what do y'all do here? I got a dog. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and before, and before I knew it, we were signed up for a schoolyard, I think later that day. And I think, I, I think I bought like a one month membership Um, And I just never, you know, I'd never seen anything like it. I'd never seen anything like it with my own eyes, like that kind of training and that kind of community between dogs and people and uh, human guardians and trainers. Um, So after a month of being a member and bringing Dusty to schoolyards at the at the older address on Second Street, um, I signed on for the apprenticeship program, dove in, dove in with my eyes, dove in backwards with my eyes closed. I started working working in, in the walking program, which uh, school sort of sort of brought on from one of one of our, our my other coworkers, M, and uh, still a friend, still in touch, still living up now living on the West Coast. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, and so for a while, I was like doing the apprenticeship and doing dog walking. And I'm like, oh man, this is amazing. And I'm also like beating my body into the ground. Like I, I thought I was in shape. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm walking, you know, some days I'm walking 10 to 15 miles and stuff like that. But it was good while it was good. And um, very, very gradually, like I've, I've had, I've had some, I've definitely had some trouble uh, building up confidence to do, to do some of this work in some contexts. Uh, but I began finding places where I was more comfortable um, or, you know, just felt like it was both a good learning environment for me and a place where, you know, my efforts, you know, counted and could help and everything else. And I started working at a day school program and started doing schoolyards, uh, which is sort of a, a very, not manicured, it's a managed uh, off-leash, kind of like, kind of like a, a dog run, but for a very small number of dogs. 
um, and everybody's paying attention and there's a trainer there. Uh, so better than, better and than, there, yeah, around. there's just, I think, I think it makes such a big difference having someone in charge. I mean, cer- certainly having someone who's a trainer and, and who's knowledgeable, but I, I, and I almost think though, that like, if at any dog run, someone was just appointed to being in charge, things would still probably go better than they do. Yeah. Cause like nobody knows who to listen to. Nobody knows who to listen to. Like, yeah, it's, it's actually the first time anybody is. Like, I don't think I've even considered the idea that it could be like a lifeguard at a beach, you know? Mm. It's another place where animals are running wild. It's just that they're humans there. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think the best, uh, that is sort of like the key aspect of the of the schoolyard program at School for the Dogs is that not only is there a trainer there, not only are the guardians there, but sort of the idea is we're all paying attention to the dogs and we're all talking about what the dogs are doing. Um, and lo and behold. And, and everybody's you know, there like looking out looking out for the dog's best interest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you uh-huh. know, there's, there's ways there. It's, that's, it's a whole, it's a whole way of approaching the, the, the idea of off leash play. Like there's at any given point, we can be looking for good behaviors to be reinforcing. Uh, obviously we're always looking out for behaviors. We like less that we can discourage or preempt that kind of thing. But yeah, it's a, it's a really fantastic environment. And, uh, from there, I started doing puppy play times, which for whatever reason, I have found like, it's kind of just like my, my zone right now, for whatever reason, I think maybe because they're, the sessions are relatively short. It's just 30 minutes with four puppies. Uh, a lot of the humans are not a lot of the humans. You're always, you always see some, some humans who are all of the human guardians are at different place, different, uh, places in the relationship with the puppy. They're either like I'm being driven into the ground. I have no idea what's going on with this cute little chaos agent with razor teeth. I don't know what to do. And then there are other people who've either had dogs before, done some training, or they're doing puppy kindergarten in, you know, concurrently with coming to puppy playtime. But, um, it's a, it's, it's just a really, it's a really great place to try to, uh, just show people that we'll, we'll kind of, kind of as a step one, what we're doing with our dogs is we're, we're, we're really paying attention. Um, and I think that's one of the key differences just to, as the, just to take dog runs as the, as, as the other extreme for off leash stuff, you know, no, no one's paying attention. And if your dog is, you know, having an issue with another dog, you look for the other human to help to like work with you, but you don't e- often don't even know who the other human, you know, who the other dog's human guardian is. Um, it's really the wild that's such west. A good point. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's something that's something that I've been observing close up because, you know, I li- like I said, I live in the neighborhood, uh, the East village. So I'm yeah. very close to school for the dogs, but what I'm really close to is Tompkins square park, which has one of the, I think the biggest in terms of, uh, just space, the biggest dog run in Manhattan. And, and I think it's also the first one, the first mm-hmm. one that was officially made a dog run. And, it's probably one of the most frequently asked questions, especially because I do puppy play times, which is people are just learning about their dogs and getting them like trying to build them up for, you know, really high, kind of high intensity life in New York city. And people inevitably think, can I do the dog run? Can I go to the dog run? Can I be one of those people at the dog run with my coffee and I'm in the community and the dogs, my dog is going to be one of those dogs who does great. is always playing and having fun. And the truth of it is, it's just like, it's the friggin' wild west there. Like I see some stuff that just makes my hair turn white. Um, and, and I'm with a dog who 
sort of grew up there and, and does well there. And she can, she, it's one of her strong points. Dusty is just like very, very good socially. She's great at greeting smaller, younger, or timid dogs. She's great at, uh, with her body language and her signaling to other dogs when they're doing something that makes her uncomfortable. And like, she's never, she's never had a fight, which is great because even though she's a big-ish dog and looks like, looks like a dog who could handle a scrap, not this one. I don't think she's definitely, definitely the kind of dog who has a scary bark and has nothing behind it. So thank God, thank God she has these, all these, well, all these well-developed social, uh, social skills that have just allowed us to evade any real trouble. Like a couple, couple of, well, couple I, I, I find when, when, Oh, sorry. I was going to say when I, when I go to dog parks, uh, I haven't actually brought Poppy yet to a dog park, but go, I, I went many want, times. With, do you want me uh, to tell you what I tell clients when they ask, what do you think about dog runs? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I always find that like I, as a dog trainer, I feel frustrated because I feel like I no, nobody wants to be told at a dog run, like, sure. hey, can you like, um, nobody wants to see someone like touching a dog that's not their own right. or interacting with a dog that's not their own or treating a dog that's not their own. And nobody is particularly open to someone coming up to them being like, Hey, you know, your dog is kind of like chasing at my dog in a way that I'm not into. Yeah. Like, you're just asking for like a fight. It's true. Everybody, yeah, everybody has, um, yeah. And, and, and we're, temp- we're, we're speaking temp- in generalizations, but, uh, well, tempers flare and my, my, my yeah. favorite dog to- park experience or my least favorite dog experience was one time I, I, I like someone brought a ball to the dog park, but it was like a soccer ball and someone else was annoyed at them because I guess like only tennis balls are allowed and not soccer balls. But like, I mean, who's, I'd, ra- who- I'd rather see a soccer ball than a tennis ball, frankly. I mean, <laughs> right. Like it was a ridiculous argument that ended with, uh, one, the guy calling the woman, the C word. Hey, <laughs> and then the woman you? turned around and was like, I hope you go home and kill yourself. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> only in New York friends, only in New York. Well, that's the thing. It's not only in New York. I think people, I, uh, you, you alluded to it earlier. Like people are more sensitive in a way about what their dogs do than they would be about their young kids. Yeah. And I think and it, people and I th- talk to their dogs uh-huh. like they're well, talking. It, Exactly. I think it really stems from that, that sort of attitude about, about, uh, about a dog that someone can have really stems from not understanding their dog's behavior. And they're so, and because, and somewhere they, uh, they understand that they don't understand it and they're a little defensive about it. And I get it. Like I was someone who. Right. And then they talk to the dog, like they're talking to, like they're talking to each other, but they're like, they're talking to the dog, but actually like trying to talk to other people by talking to their it's such a well, weird thing so like what, what say, do you like tell when clients? they say like when they say be nice be nice like what what do your dog really know what the words be nice mean like that 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 to me just says you've seen your dog frequently not be nice and you're you're speaking to the other person here so that if or when something goes wrong you can just sort of shrug and be like i don't know what happened i told my dog to be nice <laughs> yeah yeah so you see some of the most Hilarious. absurd logic some of the most absurd human logic being applied to dogs, but you're right. Like people are not there for unsolicited advice. 
And there have been there have been times where I'm like, I can get away with just biting my lip and not saying anything. And there are other times where I'm like, I can't even look at what's going on. Like you just see multiple thing, multiple mishandlings. And like a, a year or two ago, they they stopped or they took they took the rule off the posted rules that dogs above six months had to be uh, spayed or, or had to be neutered or, you know, female dogs couldn't be in heat. They took that away. So now they just left that and also to uh, human management. Like my unfixed male dog is fine. He's not causing the problems. Like, yeah, well, if you understood what's going on, you're, you would understand that you're, you know, you're complicit in a lot of other dogs behavior here by bringing that dog in. The, like the, the, one of the, one of the first line benefits of training your dog is to avoid worst case scenarios where your dog is going to become seriously injured, seriously injure somebody else, have to be rehomed, have to go back to a shelter where they're likely to, you know, not be readopted. I mean, there's just, there's just mm-hmm. several different, you know, levels of bad outcomes um, that, that just don't yeah, you, happen you have a to lot like when, think three steps ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of those things, like, People, people train people who train their dogs certainly encounter like behavioral issues. It's just, it's just going to happen to some dogs, but uh, like you just you, you you don't see a lot of worst possible outcomes with when you know when the humans are engaged with their dogs' lives. Do it you know taking some steps to understand their dog's behavior and what they need at different times and in different contexts. Like a little bit of a little bit of effort toward understanding uh, your dog goes a long way. I think one of the one one question like you know pivoting off of our dog run conversations a lot, especially at puppy playtimes, people are like, you know, what, what are your feeling? Like they'll ask it very vaguely. What are your, what do you think about dog runs? And sometimes I'm like, well, what specifically do you mean? Cause my answer is like, I generally advise against it, but I'm also someone whose dog has had a great, like has made a great second space out of the dog run that were is this big dog run in Manhattan that's a block and a half away from us, but it's just not for everybody. So for people with young dogs, um, especially if I've got, if I'm in a room with them and I'm talking about behavior and trying to narrate what I see, what I'm seeing from their own pups and what, what sort of different body language, uh, aspects of body language you can put together to try to get a fuller picture of what your dog, like how your dog is feeling in that moment and how that will affect their behavior. You know, I tell them like, you really want to pay attention to, you know, there are signs of stress. You really want to work on uh, a lot of core behaviors like a recall, hand targeting, things that will bring your dog back to you. And you don't practice them when you go to the dog run. You practice them in lower stress environments, which is almost anything for a dog in New York. Like you bring them into a dog run. It's like, holy hell, I'm in this big yard with 35 other dogs and there's a lot of hormones and there's a lot of barking and dogs are jumping up and um but yeah i just talk about the behaviors that i think they really have to have and i think they also and i also say because this is something i've done just because going back to we were talking about some of the horrible things you you can see at dog runs especially in new york um just where things are more dense um it's Sorry, I briefly lost my train of thought. But I talk uh, basically. I talk about you're going to the dog run. You're imagining this fun playtime for your dog. It's sunny out. People are chatting nicely. All the dogs are playing. But it's very often not that case. And you have to be prepared to approach the dog run. Look inside. You see like three dogs who are wearing prong collars off leash in the dog run, let alone anywhere else. But there, 
Um, maybe you see a couple dogs who are, uh, you know, unneutered and they're playing at a very high clip. Maybe you see a lot of people not paying attention. Maybe it's just like the vibe is wrong. Like you have to be prepared to go and decide against it or go in for literally 60 seconds or less and decide and be aware, like, this is not right for my dog right now or possibly ever. Um, and just turn around and leave and find something else to do. But I think, I think too many people are just like, yeah, that's such, a good, that's, that's such good advice. Yeah. But I think for too many people, uh, the idea forms like maybe they've walked past the dog run a hundred times and they're like, man, I can just envision myself being part of that. Um, and really just don't, don't feel like they can find other options for their dogs. Um, but and, and admittedly it is tough in, in a place yeah. like New York, but, uh, but it's out there. They can be, you know, there's, there's other so, things to do. A couple, a couple things that, well, a couple of things you're making me think of. One is, um, I mean, yeah, like I, I think people have an idea even before they get their dog or know their dog of like, I'm going to bring my dog to the dog park. Like it's an idea of That's my life. It's an idea what it of means life to in be. New York. Yeah. And it's a nice idea of, you know, I'm going to yeah. wake up in the morning and get a coffee and like go to the dog park, check my email. Like, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, that might, you, you might want that, but that might be, that might not be the right thing for your dog. Yeah. Um, but two things. One, I, I've suggested to people, like, if it's really important to you to make sure that you have a dog who can go to the dog park and that it's every that your dog is going to be safe and et cetera, et cetera, um, go to the dog park some of the time or, or at least start out going to the dog park um, by yourself. Yeah. Just to start kind of getting an idea of what you should be looking for, what right. you should be staying away from, because once you're there with your dog, you should be paying attention most of all to your dog and not to the other dogs. So much other good behavior or some not good behavior, so much other behavior that we like, especially apartment dwellers in, in New York city um, can come out of a dog with a very like healthy social life um, and good and a good set of uh, you know, pro-social behaviors, whether it's play or just coexisting with other dogs. I think that's like, if you do that and almost nothing else for your dog, I think you're going to see, I I think you're going to have a good life with your dog, but you can have it so much better the more you do. (laughs) It's funny. The, um, when the first thing you said, uh, your first example was to advise people to, you know, go to the dog run first alone. It reminded me that, um, when we talk about dog walking, which is another, I think, undervalued component of a dog's life, especially in a dense urban environment. Yeah, sure. I think people continue, like, it's just, it's, it's really, it's, it's almost impossible for people to really understand how much information their dog is taking in and processing and forming their own associations and feelings and thoughts about without them even noticing it. Like they're looking at their phone or sipping their coffee we're just not looking at what their dog is doing and there's a lot going on down there. But anyway, so, uh, at one point, uh, in discussing, you know, how, how to, how to plan a good dog walk. If you have a really reactive dog in a place like New York city, like the East village, Lower East side, where the streets are just packed with stuff. Um, and the first step was plan out your route and walk it alone like walk it alone. Think about what it would feel like if you had your dog on a leash, but you don't, but think about how is this going to feel when I turn this corner? What kinds of things do I see coming out of this doorway and that doorway? And, um, 
and and you sit, you tell some people that, and it's like, you know, it makes such good common sense, and I wouldn't have thought of it. And I think I think there's there's a great there's great appeal to to a lot of dog training tips that that don't really rely on anything more than common sense, slowing it down, really like making making your steps smaller, you know, and really yeah. Uh, plotting it out in advance. How are things going to go? How thing? How might things look? So I'm better prepared to handle it. New York is tough. Yeah, it's you know so it's tough. interesting. I, <laughs> people definitely have to get over. I find people have to get over the hump of thinking that dog training is something that happens only when you're with your dog. You yeah, know, no. just just yesterday, I uh, I suggested someone do. Um, the good dog training course at one of our on-demand courses. Uh-huh. Um, and she was like, well, I'm not getting my dog till Sunday. So I, I don't like, I, I, what, what time, what time Sunday? Cause the moment, <laughs> in the moment, the moment you meet your dog, that dog has begun learning about you really, exactly. really fast. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, well, all the more reason why you should do the course now. But I get it because, as a quick aside, another really under underutilized uh, part of one of the services we offer, and I think a lot of good uh, dog trainers around the world offer, is like, let's have a conversation before you get your dog, before you go to the shelter. Like, yeah. when you get to the shelter, you're already screwed. It's already too late. You're going to have a puppy in your lap. <laughs> you're not going to know where that puppy has come from. You're not going to know the right questions to ask about where that puppy is coming from, but that puppy is in your lap. And dollars to Dunkin Donuts you are taking that puppy home and that's your puppy so eh, let's talk about it beforehand yeah. there's just so there's so much to think about there's plenty yeah. to think about anyway <laughs> <laughs> how did you think about dog training that might surprise you I'm not asking this question did, right the, you know <laughs> Are you, are you asking did you underestimate what dog training was about when you made this career change or did you have different ideas did you have different ideas about what dog training was before you decided, Hey, maybe I should become a dog trainer. I, I I'm sure I did, but just in the sense that they were underdeveloped. Um, I, I'm, I, I mean, I've sort of, it, it, it's, it's kind of true to say I've been overwhelmed with dog training since day one. And I am every day. Like I just find it's just so deep. There's so much you could know. And because I'm doing the work, mm. it's there's so much that I ought to know. Um, and so there are certain. I certainly do have moments where I'm like, man, I wish I was still like in my mid twenties and I had fallen into this or made this decision. I'd be tearing it up. And you know, like you get you you get to a certain age, you maybe have a little bit less gas in your tank, or just your priorities are different. So like, obviously, I really want to learn. Yeah, that's but true. you can you can only go as fast. You can only you know internalize and process and really understand. Uh, like something something like this that's really science based, you know. Um, there's only so much you can do. Like someone like me, I can take in. Like I wish, uh, I wish it was like Keanu Reeves in The Matrix, where they just jack him into a thing, and in 30 seconds he knows kung fu. Like, yeah, load me up with that stuff. <laughs> but um, but I mean, but it's but it's also but it's also like, but but the the nature of the work is is that. There's endless novelty. There's always new things to see with every new puppy or every dog you haven't met. And they're new. It's, you know, every, every new experience you have with a dog just spurs all kinds of, all kinds of wild thinking and new ideas and, you know, panic 
sometimes if you're working with the dog in a training context, but, um, it's certainly exciting. And, uh, well, also don't, don't you, I mean, what I, what I find, one of the things I find so exciting about it is watching other people get excited. Yeah. That's the big, I think exactly. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you really like, honed in on that point because that is the big I mentioned like puppy playtimes are where like I feel really confident I feel like I have good conversations I'm really getting through the humans and I think part of it is like I love being able to reassure people um you know even with generalities because you can't there's there's a lot you cannot assume about a about a dog's future life by looking at them at 12 weeks old, bopping around in a little pen with other puppies. But a lot of, you know, a lot of people who are either maybe first time puppy guardians, or they just, you know, don't have a background in like understanding dog behavior. They're like, you know, you can see the panic and the fear in their eyes. And it's just like, most of them just want to know, is this normal? And I'm like, hell yeah, it's normal. There's billions of different versions of what normal can look like here. Like, thank God, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure it's going to happen at some point. Some puppy is going to come in and they're going to have something, you know, behaviorally that's really unusual for, for a pup their age. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll note it and have to figure out how to, how to communicate that. But, um, you know, by and large, all, all the shy ones, all the ones who don't move, all the ones who do move and just like never tire out. Almost all of them are just normal normal as hell. Um, and there's just so much, so much that, yeah, I, I really just try to encourage people to just continue taking steps into your dog's life. There's just more than I can tell you here in a half hour, but I try, I I try to leave people a little excited, give them a little trivial tidbit. I think this is something you mentioned once that I, that I try to mention every time, like dogs greet at the face briefly, they're checking each other's first name. They go to the butts, they're getting each other's last name makes everybody laugh every time. So, <laughs> so, so then suddenly, like, you know, you've got four, four people I, in a small room. I don't think that was me, but I like it. Oh, uh, yeah, I liked it, too. I liked it, too, because obviously I remembered it. I say it every time. But, the, you know, you can show people, like, <laughs> you know, just showing people, like, here's a here's a more secure way to hold your dog in your lap or something like that. People are like, oh, wow, this guy might not be might not be all dumb. Maybe this, some of this stuff makes sense. Maybe maybe when he says come check out our puppy k program we should do that you know like so it's 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 really nice sort of being um being uh not a first point of contact but sort of as a trainer so maybe like the first trainer yeah. they get to talk to about their puppy and to try to like reassure them about what's going yeah. on encourage them and tell them about how exciting it is and i always throw in like you know, I have this nine-year-old dog who is absolute hell as a puppy. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but she was work for sure. And, uh, you know, she's nine. And, you know, if it's a quiet moment at a puppy playtime, I'll show them a photo. Be like, your dog can also be awesome at nine. Awesome at two. Awesome at three, four, five years Aww. old. All of it. But it's, it is it is nice when people walk out being like, yeah, that was fun. My puppy got exhausted. You know, blah, blah, blah. Maybe they made a friend with another puppy. Well, I think that that's why I love... That's why I love um, working with puppies more than anything else is because I feel like uh, when I'm with those puppy owners, even even if it's only like a half hour puppy playtime, like there's the possibility of making a difference in the way that they see their dog and they understand training that could uh, impact the rest of their lives with that dog. Yeah, for sure. And that to me is like so, so rewarding. Anyway, I'm going to use... I think it's the biggest turn on in the work for sure. I'm going to use the first name, last name bit. I, that's funny. Okay, cool. I, I refer to, I refer to dogs checking their P mail. 
which I, I don't think I made up, but it's another <laughs> another uh, Fozzie Bear style laugh yeah. line. And then they and then they reply all on top of it. <laughs> reply all. <laughs> Well, thanks for taking the time, Mike. Yeah, of and, course. This was a great conversation. Uh, I think so, too. I'm excited to share it. And uh, I will talk to you outside of podcast world soon, I'm for sure. For sure. I will see you soon at work. Thanks, Annie. School, school for the dogs. For the Thank dogs. you so much for listening. And special school, thanks to Bill and Lizzie of Toast Garden for the amazing the theme song. You can find dogs. Toast Garden at youtube.com slash toastgarden. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping at storeforthedogs.com and you can learn more about us at schoolforthedogs.com. You can also connect with other listeners by downloading our brand new app. Just visit schoolforthedogs.com slash community.